Welcome to The Lorraine Murphy Show. I'm a mentor, four times author, leader of my Bold Darling Mastermind for female entrepreneurs, retreat host, and I've gotten to host this podcast for five years. As with all of my work, this show is to serve female entrepreneurs who want to optimize their energy and their mindsets in order to build the businesses and lives of their dreams. I've walked this entrepreneurial path for 11 years now, and I can tell you that there is a way to have a business you love and still have the space and time for all the other parts of your life that make you, you. Whether your number one priority right now is to scale your business, upgrade your finances, rediscover yourself, find more energy, get more organized, reconnect with yourself, or build a life and or business that's more aligned for you or all of the above, I am here as your guide on the show to help you make it a reality. Listen in on my dulcet Irish tones as I share tales from the front line of my business and mentoring behind the scenes insights on how I'm approaching life and business and speak with brilliant expert guests. Search The Lorraine Murphy Show wherever you get your podcasts. A new episode drops every Friday. Subscribe to make sure you always catch the freshest episodes. Let's dive in to this week's show. Hello, Mel Brand. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I am thrilled to have, I get a second helping of you because of course you were in with my Bull Darling group this morning. You were talking all things business finance and I'm thrilled that you also said yes to doing a podcast interview and for the purposes of today, we'll be really focusing on what it means to be an adult when it comes to our personal finances. So yeah, thrilled I get a second second hit of you today. And I loved talking to your group because I don't talk about business as much anymore. Mm. So, and I love business. So that was really cool. Yeah. You were in your zone this morning. It was so good to see. Yeah. And they were just hanging <laughs> off every word. So exciting. Yay. I think we all learned a lot. So would you mind sharing your your background and how you came to do the work that you do? Mm. So, and I said it to your group today, I'm an accidental everything. <laughs> so, and quite literally, if I think about it, I am, it's almost everything. So I am an accidental or was an accidental accountant, financial advisor, educator. So I wanted to be a lawyer, worked out that was not for me. I'm the firstborn child. So I just wanted to, you know, be the good girl and keep my dad happy. So that is the sole reason I studied accounting because he said, He was disappointed and he said, there's law in accounting, so why don't you try that? I was an accidental entrepreneur because I was only started a business in order to fund more study. And then the study finished, my accountants were happy and kept referring others. And then when I divorced my first husband at 33, I went, oh, okay, I didn't intend to be here. I didn't want this. So therefore, what do I want my life to be? Mm -hmm. And that's where I worked out. I love business. Okay. I love business. And I particularly love helping women in business, which then morphs into, well, when you have a great business at the time, it was, well, then what do you do with it? Mm. And I, again, worked out because I was asked to, I wrote my first book, More Money for Shoes. I was asked to write for Fairfax. And I realized that that personal finance piece was something I really enjoyed. And I'd never really delved into that before. Mm which led to me becoming a financial advisor and really holding those two spaces of helping you with your business and helping you with your tax. But again, I'm child-free and that again, that's an accidental thing because it's not something I thought that you could do. My first husband and I tried to have kids. We actually went down the route of IVF and I sabotaged it because I knew the relationship was wrong. 
that I didn't realize you had the choice mm. to have kids or not. So Are you saying that, Mel, now. just because you would have seen, you know, that was just what you did? Like if you saw your friends and your totally. family, that was just the kind of the standard route that you would take as a woman? As a Western suburbs chick, I didn't see around me anyone who'd made mm. that choice. I just thought this is what you did. Yes. Never occurred to me that you had choice. In the same way that it didn't really occur to me that you could have choice to be single. A fundamental Christian household. But at 33, when I divorced my first husband, he said to me at the time, you are never going to make it on your own. So I gave every cent of my divorce proceeds and every cent of my business and personal bank accounts to charity. And I realized very quickly that I wanted to ring up and ask for that back. Yeah. <laughs> had to move into a frat house with five friends. It is not as fun as it sounds. It was in a moldy little, I moved into a moldy little basement bedroom. But I then had to teach myself everything that I teach my client at my mm. people in my online financial education, which is how to get out of debt how to have more income, how to invest in shares, because that's what I could afford at first, how to invest in property, how to build a business. And, I'm, and I made so many mistakes. But from doing that, I then in my 40s had the choice to work or not. And today, when I was a financial advisor, I had to charge thousands of dollars because of best interest duty and royal commission to, have, to create a financial plan for you. I now teach people how to have great finances through my online courses and particularly the My Financial Adulting Plan. And we've had 2,800 people through plus kids and partners. And I'm an extraordinarily proud of that legacy. And it's, I mean, having an online business didn't exist when I was 16. But I want to go back sometimes to that, to my teenage self and go, yes, this, all these things are going to happen, but this is where you were going to be one day. It's not somewhere you could ever picture or dream mm. for yourself. And, oh, my gosh, it's incredible. Yeah, it's true, isn't it? If you went back to our 16-year-old selves and explained that one day you could have a business where you record videos and people pay you to watch them. Yeah. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Never mind the fact that I hated being photographed or yes. videoed. So just the idea of it would be horrific. Yeah, yeah, love that. So what do you believe constitutes financial success in life? So I believe financial success is different for everyone mm. because financial success for me is having the choice to work or not by the time I hit, my, hit 50. For me, that was a really big milestone and I wanted to make sure before I got there that I will have financial choice. Someone else might completely different. They might be that I don't want to have to go onto the age pension when I retire. For someone else, it might be at owning their own home. But amongst it all, I truly believe that it's choice, mm. that we don't want to have financial default, that we don't want to abdicate responsibility to someone else or have to do something because we don't have enough. So I believe financial choice is what financial success looks like, the ability to have choice. Mm, I love that. And, you know, whether that's a choice to start a business or to wind down a business or, you know, to leave mm. a relationship. I know Wade, yeah. he was so a financial advisor for a few years and there's a lot of women who are stuck in relationships because they haven't got the money to get out of them themselves, which that is heartbreaking. That is exactly right. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the number of women in my course who join when they've 
between 50 and 55. I've never handled the finances before. Absolutely did not think this is where they were going to be. Are often blindsided by the Mm. position that they thought that they were going to be in and then effectively have to start again. And it's heartbreaking, but it is absolutely possible Mm -hmm. to start again, no matter what age you're at. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Thank you. What do you think, you know, we're going to get into the more pointy end of this conversation soon, but I guess I just want to Mm. set the context for this conversation. Each of us show up for our money and our lives in very different ways. You know, some of us have a very Mm. abundant mindset. Some of us have much more of a scarcity mindset. And, you know, that's just one spectrum when it comes to this. Then you think about risk profile. There's so many different levels of this. What do you see as the greatest influences that we do have in our lives as women when it does come to shaping our beliefs around money and our mindset around money and our our education around money as well? Yeah, absolutely. Look, there's so many things. Unfortunately for women, 48% of us are financially illiterate. So we're being shaped by things that we don't even realise. And because we don't understand about money, we don't understand how they're influencing us. Sorry, my dear. Did uh, you say 48% of women are financially illiterate? Illiterate. Illiterate. So what do you mean by that? So there's five financial questions they can't answer, including, you know, compound interest and really basic financial questions. Wow. Okay. Uh, So almost half of all women. Yeah, which is scary. So if we already are coming from that I'm afraid to do that test. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to bump it up to 49. (laughs) And if you're a bloke listening or if you're listening over your partner's shoulder, you're not much better. So you're about to get better. All right, well, that's a bit more issue. You know, this is a, exactly. But there are so many things then that influence us. So it's our parents. So even if our parents didn't talk about money, there's a money story we picked up because of that Mm. around shame and scarcity and worry. So if you're not talking about money in your household, your kids are absolutely picking up on how it feels when you're talking about money. Yeah. Yeah, the energy, exactly. They're picking up their own stories. So one of them is where you came from, so that nurture story. The second one is from society, which is everything from in Australia, that really a common money story around you're not financially adulting unless you buy your own home, Mm. which I call BS to for so many people now, and yet so many people still fundamentally believe that even Mm. though it's wrong for them and is robbing them of choice. Well, it's, um, it's, I, I actually see a lot of parallels there between your, your story of not knowing that it's possible to choose not to have children. Yeah. And exactly. either be single or not have kids. You know, we, it is. And I'm, you know, I'm from Ireland and, and Ireland is a huge famine. You're probably aware of there was a huge famine mm. in Ireland in 1845. And there was a break the following year, but there basically was three famines in four years. And a million people died in Ireland. The population of Ireland at the time was like seven million. It's only four and a half million now. So a million people died and a million people emigrated. But a huge problem that we had then was that a lot of the homes that people lived in, you think about the peasant class, were owned by the British. And then you would have these British landowners who, well, if people couldn't afford to pay their rent anymore and they were starving, they pretty much got Mm. kicked out of their houses. So there's a real, uh, I think it's almost like woven into your DNA as an Irish person that you need to own your own home so that can never happen again. I do believe that these things get passed down through generations. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's interesting. I do see the same in Australia. Like it's, you've got to kind of have your piece of turf as well. Yeah. 
But I love that it's almost coded in your DNA. Mm, coded in your is. DNA. I absolutely believe yeah. that too. But some of it might be societal around what your societal norms are. So, for example, I've got a girlfriend who's from Thailand and she absolutely talks about she's a China mum. Her expectations for her kids are yeah. this, that. Sorry, <laughs> tiger mum, not a China mum. Her yeah. expectations for her kids are this, that and other. Like, she has societal and cultural expectations. I think I know who you're talking about, actually. Oh, you know exactly I I who do. I'm talking yes. about. Yes, how funny. But depending on what culture you're part of, there mm. will be different expectations around potentially the firstborn or what girls do or what boys yes. do. Or, and I know we think of gender differently now, but I think that's still coded very much in how our parents talk to us mm. around the expectations we have financially. Yeah. And then the media. So I think the mm. media have a lot to answer for when it comes to stories we tell. At the moment, there was an article this week in the Sydney Morning Herald in Australia that said half of Australians are on the financial brink. It was based on one question where they said, agree or disagree, if you had a a large, a few thousand dollars, unexpected bill, would you struggle to pay it? I mean, I'm going to argue that over the last 10 years, Half of people would say yes. Mm. Doesn't like it doesn't matter the interest rates are going up. Half of the people would have said that. And yet they wrote an article saying half of us on the financial brink. And I know so many people will read that and believe yeah, it. And panic. Yes. And panic. And then behave a particular way because of yeah. it. So there's a few different ways that we're receiving money stories. Yeah. Can I just add a layer to this as well from what you're sharing? I think how rich people are viewed in your family is an interesting one to unpack as well. Yes. Because I know for me growing up, you know, rich people were seen very much as those those people over there. Those you know, we, people. Those people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe not very ni- nice people. You know, almost like an assumption yes. that if people have money, then they're probably not very nice. Yes. And it's been really interesting. I've had to do a lot of work on my money mindset over, you know, the last 10, 15 years. And I've done a lot of unwinding of that kind of, cultural you know not even just family wise but cultural wise and it's been interesting being back in Europe and spending more time in Ireland and you know just having those conversations and just being so much more tuned to it. and I think this is the thing isn't it when it comes mm. to money mindset it's just that it starts with that self-awareness of when you do see the newspaper article okay well what is that triggering in me or when someone yep. did talk about someone rich being not a very nice person but I know myself that there's a lot of wealthy people I know and they're the nicest people I know it's starting to question mm-hmm. the things that yeah. maybe we just onboard by osmosis And if you're not aware of something, you can't change it. If you don't recognize something, you can't do anything about it. Mm. And your awareness is one. And then it's recognizing it and choosing to think differently or choosing to talk back to that headline or choosing Mm. to act differently because you know that now. Or even start a curious conversation with someone that brings up, oh, but rich people aren't nice. That's interesting. What about this person? They do this and they might, and then it becomes a great conversation starter around, huh, that's not mm. generally been my experience. Hmm. Yeah. I love your story of the Western suburbs. You know, I do think for a lot of us, it is that, you know, we are living in almost like a, it sounds very classes, but almost like maybe a certain strata of society where we probably yes. don't meet that many wealthy people. And I think I've been so fortunate in my business career to actually get to I mean, I know this is the very kind of pinnacle, but you're know, spending time on Necker Island with Sir Richard Branson, you're oh, just getting yeah. to spend time with people, not necessarily like that, but, you know, people like you, you know, people who are out there being ambitious and are, are being very intentional about their money and, and managing it. So, yeah, I think a lot of it just comes down to exposure that we just haven't really 
come across mm. those people on our path, yeah. which is why the internet and Instagram and books are so amazing yes. because you can choose to bring that into your life, even if it's not something you grew up with in, exactly. in your family of origin. What do you see as the biggest pain points women have when it comes to their money? So I can imagine, and I would love to talk to you about your finan- financial adulting program today as well. I would imagine mm. that you have designed that program purely to respond to what you see as those biggest pain points. What are they, yeah. particularly for women? When it comes to women, there's a number of things. So one is the money stories that we're already talking about Mm. where, you know, it's not feminine to have too much money or nice girls don't talk about money and nice girls don't have too much money. So it's realizing that and unpacking it. But it's also when it comes to women in business, it can be that that mindset that then permeates business. But that mindset of the nice girl Uh, means that we don't ask for pay rises. It Mm. means that we don't push ourselves forward for opportunities. We don't price appropriately in our business. So you might say, oh, but mindset's a bit fluff, but gosh, it absolutely permeates everything we do. And things like, you know, if you go out for dinner, there's, I think in every... Friendship circle, a family circle is one person who just doesn't pay their fair share. You know, you know, when you settle yes. up the bill, it's a big group. And for some reason, you know, you've put in quite a bit extra, but for some reason, it's just still not tallying. Just uh-huh. even things like that, you know, consistently tolerating behavior like that where people are underpaying, you know, that's all nice girl. Like we don't want to address yep. it because we feel like, oh, they won't like me. That's not what a nice person would do. I think it, exactly. it shows up in so many different areas. So many areas, but also it's what other people think of us. So, for Mm. example, there was a US Fidelity study where they found that 93% of all genders believe that men were better investors than women, which is often what, uh, no, men were better investors. Investors, okay. Yeah, so which might be why we're abdicating it to our partner Mm. or we're abdicating it to a financial planner or we're simply thinking that's not right for us. Yet a Warwick Business School longitudinal study found that both men and women outperformed the index meaning that they performed better than the share market index as a whole, so the average mm-hmm. share market, but the women outperformed the men. Interesting. And I think it's that thing where we don't know what we don't know and actually we don't realise how great we can be mm-hmm. because often women aren't willing to bet the house. They are more willing to take those diversified bets. Yes. But I think what women do badly is we also don't collaborate together. Mm. I see men investing together. I don't know of any women that invest together. So I think it's also realizing, yeah, we don't have to be siloed. We can actually ask for help. And, Mm. you know, women don't ask for help in the home. They don't ask for help outside the home as well. And we certainly don't often ask for help with our finances. And it's realizing that maybe that's how we can succeed together. Because we love, like as women, I think we do we do life well together, but it's mm-hmm. adding finances into that mix. Plus, probably the final piece I would say is that we need to put our financial oxygen mask on first. Often for women, it's, I just need to look after the family first, or I need to look after everyone else first, because we are. It's, we often take that caring role, and we think it's selfish to put money into our super. We think it's selfish to be investing when I should be maybe putting creating a fourth after school activity for little Tommy. Mm. You know, it's, it's Tommy. realizing it's not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not selfish to put your own financial oxygen mm. on mask first. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not selfish to invest in yourself. Like I love Warren Buffett's yeah. quote that the, the big, the greatest investment you will ever have is, is your own education. No one can ever take that from you. 
So mm-hmm. I think it's, yeah, it's also looking at you know, what are the things that you could do to invest in yourself that would enable you to make more money, be more prudent, be more yeah. experienced, educated, all of the things. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of, and you would see this, I'm sure, there's a lot of head and sand approach when it oh. comes to sorting out our finances. And I know I've experienced yeah. that. We had a horrible financial shock a few years ago where I had engaged a didn't know it at the time, obviously, in 2015, in my first business, I had engaged a, someone to write the R&D tax incentive grant for my business mm, and yep. got some tax relief. It was all great. And then three years later, I'd already sold the business and I had a letter from the ATO. Essentially, what happened is they were investigating every single company who had gotten a successful grant through this business. And mm. one woman, I, I did a shout out on LinkedIn just saying, has anyone else had this experience? And she said, yes, I've been hit for two years in a row. It was awful. But it took me two, three years to actually get my mindset back on track. Like it was a very long drawn out process. Yeah. And I did just kind of it's almost like, you know, when you clean up before, before someone's coming over to your house, you just kind of stuff everything into one pocket and just hope it stays closed. You know, there's a uh-huh. lot of that. What, why do you yes. think we do procrastinate on it for so long? I think it's because we're often prioritizing everything else but ourselves. And it's that financial oxygen mask. It's, mm-hmm. you know, and we consider it selfish. We think that if we're doing that for ourselves and we don't prioritize ourselves, There's so many areas where women, yes, I think we're getting better at prioritizing our health and we're prioritizing our wellness, but finances still hasn't made it onto that list of ways we're willing to prioritize ourselves. Mm, I love how you put it on par with the health and what was the other one you said? Oh, health and wellness. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, I don't believe you can have self-care. I think true self-care involves your finances. It genuinely does. Yeah. I love that because <laughs> how many of us would say the biggest reason after you know children, if we have them, that keeps us awake at night is finances. Oh, money. Like I sleep yeah. very differently when there is a solid chunk of cash sitting in my bank accounts. <laughs> yep. And unfortunately, never for women, they like don't that. know if there's a solid cash in their bank account because they've abdicated responsibility. Yeah, they don't have the well. visibility. Yep. Shit, Mel, that's really powerful what you said. Thank you. Could I add a couple more layers as to maybe reasons we might yeah, procrastinate, right. given that I have you know, been there? And uh, mm. is one that it's too hard. You know, there's just there's too yes. much to sort out. I don't even know where to yep. start. Therefore, I'm just not going to start at all. It's either too hard or I don't know how we're to do bad it. Bad at maths or bad at mm. numbers or yep. Yeah. And then another one I think probably is, oh, I'll get to it sometime. You know, I'm still only 30 or I'm still yes. only 35 or 40 or 45 or 50. I'll get to it sometime. And mm-hmm. I think just kind of referring back to a point that you and I both discussed in this conversation. And I know I have seen this over the last couple of years is, you know, friends or members of my community where they are blindsided by a divorce and they haven't been Mm -hmm. earning. And it's kind of, you know, it's a very different situation. I love Louise Hay, who you've probably come across her work. Yeah. She talks about, you know, the fact that you're much better dealing with things before they become chronic, you know, before it's cancer, before it's something really life-changing you're better off dealing with health issues before it gets there and I think it's probably the same with finances you know we don't know what's around the corner whether it's a health thing or a relationship thing or a business thing so I think it's that's probably another reason that people would procrastinate like I'll I'll get get to it yeah absolutely and I think that's that's both men and women I see is Mm. it's hard or I'll get to it because you know life's busy and I I definitely, I was speaking to an advertising agency pre-COVID and one of the young guys there said, he said, oh, that's for future, whatever his name, just say his yeah, name yeah, is yeah. Joe. That's future Joe's problem. Current Joe, today Joe, he just wants to have a good time. Yeah. And I think for if you're younger, and I think particularly if you're younger, that you 
you look at the house prices and you think, well, I'm never going to be able to afford Mm. that. I'm never going to be able to do this. So I may as well enjoy today when actually you're age is your superpower. Yes. Compounding interest is your superpower. You know, if you could find $20 a day, invest that for 30 years, there's a million bucks. Mm. Like it's your age and the time you have is your superpower. Yeah. I remember when I lived in London, I worked in London for three, lived and worked there for three years. And I remember our bosses because they had just brought in, it was like, because because in Ireland, when I'd worked in Ireland, it was just, you chose to pay into your own super, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And the UK had just brought in similar to the Australian system, like a super system. And mm-hmm. what our bosses, the, the two co-founders of this agency said that we will match whatever contribution you make. And mm-hmm. I remember them giving us a talk saying, you know, you guys are in your mid twenties. This is such a great opportunity. And I'm like, nah, <laughs> I'm going to drink Peronis <laughs> on Friday night instead. But you're so right. Your age is your superpower. You're right. It's a beautiful so, way of looking at it. There's a filter on TikTok at the moment They that they've... Uh, they've looked at and said that it's causing young women to invest and it's it's I find it wild so it's a filter that makes you look older and they're saying that women that it's one of the few ways that you can get someone to invest into super and care about that by actually they're seeing yeah, themselves and they're finding it jarring they're realizing oh my gosh I'm gonna look like that one day I best look after her so I oh, love. I have goosebumps. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm trying, I, I need to unpack that in my own head. Filter. I need to process that. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you think about it. If you're 20, you never think you're going to look 50 one day. You just don't. Mm. So to look at that image of yourself makes you go, oh, wow, I best look after her because you've yeah, identified. It makes her real. Yeah. Mm. I guess it's like yeah. if you're pregnant and you do one of those 4D scans and you can see the baby as if like it's a real baby. Yes. You go, oh, holy crap, you're actually a, a human. <laughs> yeah. And therefore you might change your behavior. Yeah. 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 Fascinating. Mm. Can you speak? We've kind of touched on the edges of what being a financial adult looks like. Could you define mm. it in your own words, given that you essentially coined the term? What does it mean? You know, how do we know if we are financially adulting? So for me, I actually created a template around like a framework that I call the financial adulting framework. So ultimately, I believe you're financially adulting if you if you are acting in a way that's giving you choice. Mm. But how I think it looks like, I think true financial adulting looks means that you understand who you are. So that's your money story, your money type, your relationship with money. So you've recognised that. You've faced where you're at. So you know what's coming in and what's going out. You understand what you own and what you owe. And you've made a plan. So you've looked at, I want to go there. Like I'm not just going to wake up one day and go, oh, how did I get here? You've got a goal around where you're going to. And you've got you've made a plan to bridge that distance between where you are now and that goal. I love that. Uh, I just pause you, you there. Um, I interviewed yeah. another podcast guest. It was actually about content strategy and and copywriting. She's one of my longtime mentees, and she said in the interview she described strategy as wayfinding. It's exactly what yes, you said. It's from I where you are that. now. It's finding the way from where you are now to where you're going. Yeah. I just wanted to add that in. I think it's it's a nice way to think about it, particularly if someone I is love listening. Love that phrase. You know, a lot of my audience are financial. Sorry, our our business owners, and that's what we focused on when we did the Bold Darling session today. But mm. for maybe some who are maybe more professionals or are you know working in the home at the moment, maybe strategy doesn't come as naturally. So I yeah. think that idea of wayfinding is it's really nice. I love that. Yeah, I like that. Isn't it? It's beautiful. Uh, so once you've had your wayfind from where you are now yes. to where you want to be, it's then figuring out the how. So it's choosing to understand about investing because most of us won't get 
from where we are to where we want to go just from what we earn alone. Mm. So that's understanding whether it's investing in shares, bonds, property and business, which are all the things we teach. And then finally, it's a what. It's the understanding what habits are actually right for you Mm. based on who you are at the very beginning and where you want to go. So I think most people think financial adulting is owning your own home and running a strict budget, where I think it's the opposite of that. We know budgets don't work in the same way that diets don't work. Yes. And owning your own home is not for everyone. If that's not in your goal, then that's not for you. And I love talking about that and kind of offering that contrarian view because I believe true financial adulting is a personalised approach. Mm. It's more sustainable and it's more transformative. Yeah. What do you suggest as an alternative to a budget then? So budgets don't work just like diets don't work. And research has come out to support that. So if you do a diet, the research is that you put more weight on than when you started. Same with budgets. If you adhere to a super strict budget, you'll see that money ultimately and kind of look around and everyone's in Europe. Cool, I'm going to grab that and go. I'm too much. I think suffering. I've seen that about 20 times this week in exactly. Insta. When are the European <laughs> summer holidays going to end? Uh-huh. So instead, it's about in the same way that it's about eating well, uh, understanding what my physiology is and what my goals are with health and wellness, it's spending well and investing well. And how you do that, I believe, is by having multiple bank accounts so that you've sent your bills account to where they should be going and it's automatically being paid for that. You're sending your saving investing to there and it's automatically happening. And then you eat from what's left. Mm. And if you want to go all out on those shoes or that thing this month, no problem, but you just eat rice and beans for the rest of the month. Mm. You don't lean into a credit card or to afterpay. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's an adjustment elsewhere, almost like if you make a decision to go crazy on the shoes, well, there's almost like a ripple effect that 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 needs to come from somewhere. And we did it when we were all back at uni or when we first moved out. Yeah. But we don't do it as adults because we don't think we should have to. Yeah. But actually we should. (laughs) Yeah. Can we actually touch on that? Because I was thinking about, you know, what are the biggest threats to us staying on track with our financial plans? Mm. And if I, you know, quite honestly reflect back on my journey, I think the trap that I have fallen into, and I think a lot of us do, is that you're right. You know, I remember when I was in uni, I was drinking the vodka from Aldi. And this is before Aldi was cool. Like it was called Batsky. (laughs) And I would literally have blackouts after during it. It was awful. But, you know, we found ways to make things work on a budget. And, you know, when we started, for those of us who are business owners, you're listening to you share, share today, we bootstrap things in the early days, you know, and then we start to find some mm. money or, you know, we graduate from university, we get our first job and maybe we kind of get to that, you know, that second or third job after uni where you're actually starting to make some money, like you don't feel like a grad yep. anymore. And then what starts to happen is then our living expenses increase to match, you know, our perceived standing in yep. the world. And I guess mm-hmm. what I've, I remember once Wade and I moved to this house, it was his, dr- the house we had in Sydney was awesome. We moved to this house in Surrey Hills and we pretty much ran the house mm. like a business. <laughs> Yep. We lived there. We made money living in the house. We rented out our parking space. So uh, because smart. we lived in Surrey Hills, we rented out, for city people, you'll know. Oh, God. What's it called? Oh, yeah. Like drive your car. We do yes. car sharing. Can't remember yep. the name of it. Yeah, yeah. So we uh, had this little like, like car next door. Car next door. Thank yeah. you. Yes, Wade's obsessed Ooh. with it. So we had a little lockbox on our car that people, because we never used our car, so people come rent yeah. it. We rented out. We had this basement level. So we rented that out as a separate apartment. And then we oh, airbnb the spare so room. Smart. And then every time we went away, we Airbnb'd it, even if it was for four days. We made a fecking, like we made money living in that house. Oh, yeah. It was so good, right? And then we were like, okay, we're doing really well. And then we Mm. had a massive upgrade to like a six-bedroom house in Surrey Hills. Again, self-contained apartment downstairs, which we rented out. 
But we spent a lot of money the year that we were in that house. And I just kind of, we went at one point, what the fuck are we doing? Like, what are we doing? And so I think that's a big one as well. It's just about, just because other people are investing in the things. And and I'm sure you've had this experience, Mel, where you look at someone and go, holy crap, you're living this amazing lifestyle. And you realize later on that, you know, most of it's been fueled by credit cards. You know, people do do that. So I think it's just about feeling, I guess it's keeping up with the Joneses and and trying to, just because you get increases in business revenue or profit or salary increases, it's trying to, Mm. I guess, keep your, your expenses down as much as possible. Would you agree? Is that what you see in your community as well? Oh, absolutely. So lifestyle creep. Yes. Is that the word for it? Yeah. Where your income goes up and therefore your spending goes up with it. And you've less money than ever. (laughs) Absolutely. It's ridiculous. Or comparison culture where I'm not comparing my, like keeping up with the Joneses. The Joneses don't live next door to me anymore. They're on the internet where they're sharing things that they don't even buy. So I'm trying to keep up with someone who can't even afford their lifestyle. And because we've got easy access to credit, oh, it's crazy. Because we've got easy access to credit, I can then get myself in extraordinary debt to try and keep up. But there was a study done. It was in Canada and it was, they looked at people that had won $150,000 in the lot with a lotto. Yeah. 150K. What they discovered is that the people that lived around them ended up in financial quite dire straits. No. Yeah. Because that 150K, all it really bought you was a bit of conspicuous consumption and the people around them went broke trying to keep up. That is fascinating. I've never heard of that study before. Yep. And I mean, I see that on the internet all the time. So one of yes. the easiest things you can do is go onto your social media today, unfollow, unsubscribe, unlike from 50 brands or people that are causing you to spend outside your values or just where it's kind of a bit of a lubricant where it's just too easy to hit quick to buy. Yeah. Or and that it also makes you feel a bit less than, you know, that it's, Yes. You feel like by following them that you're not quite living up to some perceived standard as you created it. That's a great tip. Yeah. But cleaning up your online environment, too few of us are taking control of it. It's yeah. entertaining to us, but also it's causing us to spend in a way that's actually not sustainable. Mm. God, I never but thought about I mean, that. Like, I, at- I have no idea what the neighbours next door, we've got neighbours on either side here in Spain. Like, I have no idea what they're mm. spending money on, but I know what people on Instagram are spending money on. Oh, I know, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But if you look at other things that you think are tripping us up as well, it's the unexpected. You know, it's the unexpected health scare. It's my spouse walking in one day and saying it's over. It's unexpectedly losing my job. It's the car uh, unexpectedly dying. It's it's those unexpected things. I feel like sometimes people, it's COVID, people mm. can cope with the day-to-day a lot of the time just, but as soon as you add something else, it can be a bit of a house of cards and that's where people find yeah. that they fall over. So it's creating buffer accounts. It's creating some liquidity so that you set up for that as mm. well as for when time's good. But it's also, I think, our easy access to debt and the number of products mm. that are being created that we don't realize how harmful they are. So the number of arguments I've had with women where they said, I've never paid a cent of interest on my credit card or a single fine on afterpay. I say, I love that for you, but you know you're paying between 18 to 40 to 100%. I go, what? I just said I didn't pay a single cent. So Citibank have done research on credit cards that said you'll spend an extra 12 to 18% if you use credit. Now, oh, just because you've got access to it, like you're buying things that you because, wouldn't normally buy. 
Yeah, exactly. Because you don't see it as your own money. And that's a credit card company that is saying 12 to 18%. Independent research has it as high as 100%. So you are spending more. So that's a form of interest. Afterpay have two different numbers on their Australia versus US side, 18% more or 40% more. So you're spending up to 40% more simply by using Afterpay because instead of thinking it's going to cost me $100, you're only focusing on 25. And I've got no problem moving 25 to 35 and there's my 40%. Mm. Mel, so can I ask, because I'm actually not really, I, I've just never gotten into this after paying. I, I, know, I love whatever, that you have I'm probably wrong to this point. But mm. are people using that as a substitute for a credit card or are they using both? Yes. It's a substitute yeah, so for a credit card. So it feels like a more accessible credit card. Yes. Right. Yeah, and it. because there's not an interest rate yes. and because I don't have to apply for it, or I didn't have to, now I will have to. It's so easy. And right. young women particularly who they aggressively targeted have rejected credit cards but have embraced afterpay mm. but almost to a worse effect because of the overspending right okay yeah I've always wondered that I want to ask you some quick fire questions mm, please so if you're a woman in her 20s one thing that you would advise her to do now to secure her financial future start investing gold ditto for a woman in her and 30s close down your credit cards <laughs> close down credit cards close down afterpay Start investing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> women in my, do you know what? I'm probably going to tell you the same for each. So women really? in her 30s. Yeah. Women in her 30s, I would say keep investing, even if it's small amounts. So if in your 30s, you're starting to have babies. Not everyone is. I know I certainly didn't. But even if, so 30s, let's presume, I would absolutely say keep investing. But I'll also say if you're going to have a career gap during that time in your 30s, make sure you talk to your partner about making sure you're continuing to put money in your super or your retirement mm. funds. That's really important for your 30s. I remember talking to a friend and she was saying she took she took two years, a year with each of her kids, but she remember her talking to her husband saying, you should be contributing into my super because yeah. I haven't paid in. And he was like, sorry, what? <laughs> well, I would be saying to my partner, I want you to, so they don't even have to contribute more. They just have to split theirs. And mm. people don't realize that you can do that. Mm, and so many women I've said that I talk to say, oh, but if we were to split up, I'd get it anyway. And to my answer, that is not necessarily. Mm. So you don't want to bank on that. You want to say, now let's split it. Yeah. And if they were to say no, I would be saying, but why? <laughs> like if I'm stopping to have kids, why aren't we splitting your super? Because that's the forgotten part of uh, stopping and having that career Yeah, break. I love that you shared that. Thank you. So 30s, that's what you say. 40s, is there obviously continue investing anything else? 40s is continuing to invest. But when you hit your 40s, I think it's time to sit down and say, right, I'm now getting closer to retirement. When do I want to stop working? So what's that next stage look like for me? And what does it mean? So that's when we want to make sure that we're making sure that we're having choice. Because often 40s is when we're at our highest earning, at one of our highest earning powers. Okay. And so we want to make sure we're being smart about that. We don't just increase our lifestyle creep, but we're really looking at when do I want to stop working and potentially even ramping up some of that investing. Yes. Interesting. I didn't know that, that 40s is your potential, your peak. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yep. And did it for a woman of 50 plus? 
So for 50 plus, it really depends. So if you've just come out of, if your situation has changed, it's realizing that. So if you've just been divorced or if you've had that really, I've got to start again, it's realizing that it is possible for you, but you are going to have to behave like someone that doesn't have a lot of money. It's almost yes. asking how, what am I prepared to suffer for? Mm. I can no longer afford the lifestyle that I potentially have and I really need to go hard. For everyone else, it's actually, I would in my 50s, you need to sit down and do the exercise, how much is enough? Mm. Because if you look at that, you might realise that what I've done up until this point is actually okay and I can just take my foot off the gas a bit and cruise through to the next mm. stage because of everything I've done now. I don't need to have that fear or that worry. Or it's realising that, okay, I need to keep going. Otherwise, I'm going to rob myself of choice. But you need to do that exercise beginning of your 50s, how much is enough? Yeah, that's a great tip. Thank you. Wow. So if someone is listening to this, Mel, and they're like, oh my God, this is so good. I mean, I've learned so much from you today and I'm hoping I was reasonably financially literate before we started talking. (laughs) But this space, as we've already talked about, it can be really overwhelming. Where to from here for someone listening? So come follow me over at Insta at melbrown.money. So I've got an E on the end of brown. I'm a fancy brown. I'll, I give I'll lots and lots <laughs> of free trips away. I'll pop a link in the show notes as well to your website and your notes. Insta so people can find you. But yes, go on. Cool. And we're going to give you a link so that you, there are a bunch of freebies that you can have that, that are our gift to your listeners. Thank you, Mel. One's how to save money on food. One's delving into your money types, which is something that I alluded to today. So how you can find me is all of uh, both of those places. Amazing. Thank you so much. And, you know, if someone is saying, okay, I really do want to continue. I, w- I want to get myself sorted. What's the first port of call? Mm. Like, is it an accountant? Of course, is your program, where do they mm. go to actually find someone? So particularly for those listening who are just saying that this is too hard, I don't know where to start. Yeah. Who so do I you find to help you three different buckets. So uh-huh. if you are finding that you are in such deep debt that you can't see the wood for the trees, it's a financial counsellor. It's a free right. service. Every country has one where they will create a plan for you. They'll negotiate on their behalf and right. that's their whole role. So I oh, would talk to that. that. life-changing. Oh, it is. And they have access to zero interest loans and all sorts of things. Amazing. It absolutely there is help. can be life-changing. The next bucket is the people that don't necessarily have money but have time. So I would look at something like my course because what you want is financial confidence, financial knowledge and agency so that you can invest for yourself, so that you can make choice, so that you can cut off the leaky bucket of expenses and start to be really smart with your money. But if you're someone that's got dollars but not a lot of time, then it would be finding a great financial advisor, a great accountant. You want your suite of professionals, Mm. a great mortgage broker, a great insurance broker so that you know, but you still need to be, you still want to have that agency. So I Mm -hmm. would still do that financial education so that when I talk to my financial advisor and he talks to me about wrap accounts and managed funds and ETFs and bonds, I don't just glaze over and think, oh, great, I hope this finance bro is looking after me. You can actually direct them for how you want to invest. You might, I want primarily ethical ETFs or I want to be a little bit invested in lithium, but you can then be the one that's directive around it. Yeah, I love that. I remember going to a seminar. Oh, I was just in the process of starting my first business and they were saying, you know, you've got two choices. Either you can go and figure all this out and do it yourself. Or you can get mm. someone else to do it for you, but you still need to understand at least top line what they're doing. 
because yes, otherwise you're absolutely. coming from such a place of disempowerment. Yeah. Yeah. And I never want to be in that place. I want to be the one. And we've had people in my program that they've sit in front of their accountant now and they ask great questions because mm. they know the questions to ask. Yeah. So it's having the ability, you know, everything's Googleable, but I mean, how many hours are we going to spend Googling exactly. it and are we yeah. going to get the right information? Yeah. So it's finding that great information distilled in a way that actually makes sense. Yeah. Love. Thank you so much. We've obviously covered a huge amount. I've loved this conversation. <laughs> Do you feel like there's any kind of glaring gaps before we wrap up that you'd like to add or any kind of closing words from you? I think it's really important to understand that finance is personal, that there is mm. not just one approach, but also even when it comes to wealth creation, it's personal. So I do business with Lawsy, Lauren Law, who's worked with me for 15 years. Her approach is to build assets. So she wants to build assets that she will eventually sell down as she goes through life. Personally, I'm all about multiple income streams. When I read that most millionaires have seven streams of income, that is absolutely what I am driven to create. Yeah. So it's working out that it's realizing that there's not just one way. There's mm -hmm. so many different ways. And if you have a roadblock in front of you because you're thinking, I can't buy the house or I don't have a deposit, I want people to know that there is so many different ways to actually get to that choice. Mm. Yeah. Love that. I'm off to figure out what my remaining sources of income are. <laughs> I've got eight. You get eight. seven by the end of today. Yep, absolutely. You have eight. You might be that. surprised. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I think I've I got three so, so far. Motivated. I think, yeah, mm. three, three or four. Yeah, I'll go, go I figure it that. out. That's my homework. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Thank you for today. As I said, I'll pop all the links in the show notes. And yeah, please do go follow Mel. And yeah, you're the absolute guru of what you do and what I love about you because I also love Denise Duffield Thomas's work who I know you will oh, you will know yep. of her work she's amazing I do I, I feel like you and Denise is she's also been a guest in the podcast I feel like you both are very complimentary because I think Denise is very much about the mindset which I know you also touch yeah. on but you're really into the like okay cool now what do you do about now it now that so you've got I, that started, I love that this is what we have to do yeah, yeah. no I yeah, met yeah. Denise at a retreat beginning of last year she's such a she's, she's magic just isn't she so, yeah yeah I love just her. that one way like that absolute focus on mindset I love it yeah yeah and just so real and approachable and oh yeah, yeah. I think she does such a beautiful job of what she does thank you so mm. much thanks so much for having me I loved having you join me for this week's episode please do connect with me on Instagram at Lorraine Murphy mentor and visit my website lorrainemurphy.com.au for tons of free resources and my reading list of all my favorite books. It would mean the absolute world if you could subscribe and share episodes you love with those that you love. Thank you for listening. Thank you.